November 30, 1948, a couple is walking along an Adelaide beach when they spot a man seated leaning against the seawall. The man seemed odd as he was wearing a full suit and polished shoes. The couple see him raise his hand as if he's drunkenly trying to light a cigarette, but his arm limply flops back into his lap. Another couple, a little while later, see the same man with mosquitoes flying around him, but they guess he's just too drunk to wave them away. But the man isn't drunk at all. He's in fact dying. Join us this week as we look into the seven-decade-old mystery of the Somerton Man. That bloke's dead. Welcome to Cheeky Tales. If you are a regular listener, thank you for listening and, well, you know the drill. If you are new, welcome. (laughs) You know the drill. You know the drill. Welcome. This fortnight, I am your storyteller, John, and with me, and I can see he hasn't forgotten his ears. Actually, I can't because he's got headphones on. Aaron, hi, boy. Hello, boy. I've got ears. You've got ears. And of course, Sean, our producer, laptop at the ready. Welcome. Shalom. We're sandy right now. We are very sandy. Have you not desanded? Oh, I've we- not had a shower. <laughs> Is that I, what I can smell? Oh. I, I changed clothes and he gave my bottom a wipe as I had some swamp ass. I some I wipe every part of my body with my hand, but there's still sand. I can tell. Mm. I washed my hands. Actually, no, I can't smell you, boy. All I can smell is red rooster. Mm. Sean and I play beach volleyball. We're not just sandy guys. Mm-hmm. I hate the sand; it gets everywhere. Boo! <laughs> From the worst film. Well, no, no three wasn't too bad. Three wasn't too bad. Three it's was not bad. even the right film. You suck. It's from two. Is it? Yeah. Oh, it is two. It is from two. My there mistake. you go. My mistake. I mean, it's still not the worst film. But not, I like the prequel trilogy. Not anymore. <laughs> I like the prequel trilogy as a whole, though. Oh, I like the prequel trilogy. Yes. I think that I think it's two of the worst films of all time, followed by a, a pretty decent one. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, I don't like one and two. What? You, as much what as- What is wrong with you? As much as- uh, You like t- them because you were a kid. You like them because you love everything Star Wars. I'm the only impartial one here. That Four, was, five, and six, phenomenal. That was the first time we've actually mentioned this was Star Wars. <laughs> For anyone who didn't know true. what we were talking about. Oh, yeah. That's true. Um, anyway, at Cheeky Tales Pod on Facebook, you Twitter, and Instagram. As much as one can be deleted and not impact the story at all. No, it gave no, us, no, 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 no. It gave us Jewel of the Fates. Shut up. Jewel of the Fates is the best damn song to come out of Star Wars. It set up the character that we needed to- Begin by loving oh, yeah, I get and that. then grow to hate. It was important. Yeah, I get it's that. It's a film that if you condensed it into a five-minute recap, you still get the same amount of information. Yeah, but what did it also have? Also true. We've had discussions about this in the past, that what is the thing that everybody wants from Star Wars movies? Lightsaber fights. Lightsaber and it fights. had one of the best damn lightsaber fights. Cool-ass lightsaber fights. Whole some cool trilogy. blaster stuff. Some cool um, fighter stuff as well. Like yeah, I can't argue scene. with these facts. However, yeah. I still hate that film. And don't even get me started on two. And don't come at me saying I just love it because of Star Wars. I do not like eight. Yeah, again, not good. Sorry. Anyway. Moving on from Star Wars. No one likes Did you just burp into the <laughs> mic? It wasn't intentional. Cut Big. it. Cut it. Cut it. <laughs> you were like halfway through a word. <laughs> yeah, cut it. So <laughs> so after that Star Wars talk, mm. um, I think- Summerton Man. Yeah. But before we get to the Summerton Man, I think we should do a Anzac Day shout out because this episode is out on Anzac Day. Oh, it Day. is too. It yes. does come out on Anzac Day, yeah. Yes. Do Sean. You, Sean. 
being an ex-serviceman, would you, you wanna, like to would you uh, like to do the shoulder shelter? the weight on this one as well? <laughs> I'd rather. Look, I hope everyone's having uh, those that are actually listening on Anzac Day. Hope everyone's having a nice time. Hope that you did something to commemorate the history of armed forces in Australia as a whole. You don't have to go to a dawn service as long as you go to something that you're at least showing your support. For me, Anzac Day is, and this is contentious, but it, it's really Australia Day. It's the day that we actually all 100% get together and just be proud of who we are as a nation through the eyes of our military background. But it's, it's, it's a really important day. So hopefully everybody commemorates it in some special way, whether it's something at home, you got young kids and you can't do anything, so you just make something out of arts and crafts or something. I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. Or you go to a service in the day or you even go to the street parade. And if you're at the street parade and you saw me walking along tooting my trombone, g'day. There you go. Have a wonderful Anzac Day and thank you for our current and previous servicemen and women. Thank you very much. You know what would have been good to do? What? Uh, the Rats of Dubrook. That would have been an excellent yeah. episode to do this we, one. We have a Missed thing on Tales where we do not do theme episodes on the right time. The right no. And we've we also think about tried- it about a week after we release. We've also been <laughs> trying to steer out of the skid of becoming a World War II podcast. Oh, yeah. Because our biggest episodes, what, Midway? Uh, excuse me, sir. Everest, Everest is the Everest biggest is episode the biggest. now. No, it's not. It is. It has been for a while. Followed what? by Midway. <laughs> Is Everest really number one? Yeah. How did that one shoot to number one? That's a dark horse. Hot you, topic. You say that, Sean, but in the last week I have come across two World War II stories I want oh, to cover. No. <laughs> Man, we're doing a lot of exposition in this episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots of little bits. That's all right. I've, I counted for banter, so it's all good. It's all part of the plan. I've got it's it written down. on the schedule John's got on the TV exactly. in front of us. Exactly. It's part of the script. <laughs> Everything that we've just said was all Everything scripted. scripted. <laughs> it's all a lie. Alrighty. So I have titles for this episode. Oh, I've good. Some- yeah, I like that every episode now we're like, hey guys, I've got titles. Um, like we're not doing it every episode. I don't do it every episode, but this episode- What's your first title, boy? The Body Discovered and Early Investigation. Oh, very descriptive. Very descriptive. Shall I, I read out the Wikipedia <laughs> oh, label of that me. paragraph? Which is initial discovery and investigation, discovery of body. (laughs) One thing thing that has become very clear with Sean producing is how much plagiarism you're doing. (laughs) There's a bit. I changed it a bit. Woo. Just enough. Good luck keeping up, Sean, because- I haven't been great the last couple of weeks. I get too wrapped up in the story. Oh, no, no. For different reason. Um, There's a lot that happens in this story- at multiple times. So I've tried to keep information together. Mm-hmm. It just means we jump through times, like back and forth and times and parts of the information a lot. So oh, I've put it. it in my own order. So you'll be going up and down that Wikipedia page all day. So the man's body was discovered by two apprentice jockeys on December 1st, 1948 at around 6.30 a.m. How long is a jockeying apprenticeship? Uh, Sean looks that up He's put the microphone down I can't imagine <laughs> Like how much Can you need to know I'm going to say two years Old um, rains Whip It was discovered At Summerton Park Beach Which is near Glenelg About 11 kilometers Glenelg 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 So close Glenelg I bloody made sure I looked that up And I still oh, started bloody Glenelg Glenelg About 11 kilometers Southwest of I think we found A new bit it, Adelaide, <laughs> Adelaide, sorry, about southwest of Adelaide. Such a Glen Egg. <laughs> the people, the, there you've done me. 
The police, Got him. Were, the police were alerted and a crime scene was established. Initial investigations of the Somerton man revealed no obvious cause of death. He had not been shot, stabbed, or seemingly injured at all. He was seated on the sand, back against the wall, legs outstretched, in uh, like, and were serenely co- crossed. You can find photos on our social. I don't think there's photos of that. Queensland government. Yeah, there's photos of him lying on the ground. Is there? Yeah. yeah. Queensland government, Department of Employment, Small Business and Training. The apprenticeship and training details of a jockey. I don't know why, but it also has a link to. Please refer to Norfolk Island policy for apprenticeships and traineeships. They have horse racing on Norfolk Island. No, I think it's oh, just I think in it's general. Just in general. Okay. So it, yeah, an apprenticeship for a jockey will gain a high level of skill in race riding and horse handling skills that require application of problem solving skills. It doesn't actually say how long. Um, it says you can do it full time, part time, or school based. Uh, let's see, maybe averaged <laughs> seven point five hours per week of paid employment. This may why be average keep over three wagon month jockey school. <laughs> Yeah, jockey school. I talked over how long it was, didn't I? He didn't say. I, I'm oh. trying to find it. it. Doesn't just says minimum entry age 15, full time start date, end date, probation period 90 days, nominal term months 48 months, so two years. Two years. There you go. Yeah, it said two years. I did say two years, didn't I? John the horse racing expert. John the horse Correct. racing expert. Ah, uh, he's a horse guy. I'll give you those tips later. He was dressed in a white shirt with a red, white, and blue tie, brown trousers, socks. Recently polished shoes, a brown knitted pullover, and a grey and brown double-breasted jacket, which was apparently of American tailoring. Uh, do you know the difference here, boy, between, say, an American, British, and Italian jacket? No. Okay. I did a quick Google search. I've preempted this one, Sean. Good. So thank you, because that's going to take a while. <laughs> uh, so it means an American-style jacket has, like, slightly lower armholes uh, and usually has three buttons, and it's a looser boxer like more of a box shape fit. Okay. And the like the vent, the split is at the back, whereas like British and Italian have two buttons. Italians have, are very tight fitting. There's no like vents. Or, well, they call them vents, but the splits. Yeah. And uh, the British style has like the splits on the sides. So that's the difference. Didn't realize there was a difference, but. I did not know that either. Mm. Uh, all the labels on the man's clothes had also been removed, and one of the pockets in his pants had been repaired with an unusual orange thread. He had no hat, which is strange for 1948, and he was without a white. He was described by pathologist John Cleland as a man of British appearance and was thought to be between the ages of 40 and 45. He was also in top physical condition. Wow. Well. <laughs> he did. But at his time in, of death, he was in yeah, I wouldn't peak say physical condition. Peak physical condition, 180 centimetres tall with grey eyes, fair to ginger hair, which was slightly grey around the temples. He had broad shoulders and a narrow waist, hands and nails that showed no sign of manual labour, uh, and his big and little toes were squished together in a wedge shape, which is consistent with people who wear pointed boots or are, or are a dancer. Also, boy. <laughs> you look like you were reading something. Yeah. What were you reading? I was trying to get one drive to work so I could get my <laughs> script for next episode ready. Also, he so had, he's got pointed toe, pointed toes from his pointy boots. Yeah, like like the like the yeah like would you call together. it? Would you he call wears it tight in, shoes? Yeah. The index toe, like the second, not the big toe, like the second toe. Second toe. Yeah, and the little toe, like over the top of the middle other toe. toes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like yeah, squished together. Oh, wouldn't that hurt? Not after a while, I guess. Uh, he also had pronounced high calf muscles. 
which is consistent with people who wore boots or shoes with high heels or performed ballet. Being that he's five foot eleven, mm. I'd say probably just wanted to look taller. Yeah, it's not very tall. Hit that six foot, baby. Yeah, in an five era- foot eleven is not short. Yeah, but in an era where physical stature was just really important, I'm 180 centimeters, so technically I'm five eleven. I tell people six foot, whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. You've learned something about John. There we go. He's the, rest, the rest, the rest of it's all hair and beard. <laughs> have six, yeah. Have six feet. My guys, I'm six feet. Uh, there are there were a few things found on his person, and they include an unlit half smoked cigarette on the right collar of his coat. Yep. Uh, in his pockets, there were like there was an unused second class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city that was suspected to have not been used. A narrow aluminium comb that was made in the US. Well, since it was made in the US, it was an aluminium comb. A half-eaten packet of juicy fruit chewing gum. Yum. An army club ciggy packet. Taste that, taste that, taste that's going to move you. Juicy fruit jingle. No, okay. Nope. I will come back to juicy fruit. Continually. A, like I said, a ciggy packet, which contained seven darts of a different brand. Ziggy's darts. <laughs> I, chucked, I chucked them in there a little bit. Not going to find that in Wikipedia, Sean. No. <laughs> uh, the other brand was uh, Concitas and a quarter box full of matches. Concitas. Concitas. Juicy yeah. fruit. How old's the juicy fruit company? Over 100 years. Yeah. I looked it up because it comes back later. Okay. Concitas Club, commonly shortened to club, is a Scottish brand of cigarettes currently owned and manufactured by the Gallagher Group, subsidiary of Japan Tobacco. How old's juicy fruit? Or uh, Wrigley's is the maker of Juicy Fruit. It is. I believe it's over. Wrigley's, believe it or not. I believe it's over 100 years. American brand of chewing gum made by the Wrigley Company. Uh, It was first introduced in 1893. And in the 21st century, the brand name is recognized by 99% of Americans with total sales in 2002 of 153 million. 99%. Why is it? But why is that a stat? Who cares about that it's recognized by 99% of oh, Americans? People care. Yeah, that's- If your brand is- Brand recognition, it's literally a term in the know, industry. but it's just such a- It just seems like an irrelevant thing to be in the very first paragraph on Wikipedia. I wonder if- Like, how does that rate to Coke? Like Coca-Cola? Go. <laughs> you t- I guarantee I'm going to type that in and it will give me- It won't be like, oh, it's recognized by 99.5% of Americans. Yeah, Coke, it'll just be like, yo, we popular, bruh. Yep, literally doesn't say it. Mm. Do you want to give us a, a pun, boy? Oh. Um, oh, man. I'm come, di- and, come and um, I was trying to go with like Summerton, but come and tell me the story. Come and uh, tell me. Yeah, see, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Oh, Sean's tagging in. Hey, John, you want to give us all the juicy details? Pretty good. Juicy Not bad. The juicy fruit. Also, by the way, the juicy fruit flavor, which serves as the model. Uh, is kept vague in advertising. However, though, in 2003, advertising agency BBDO characterized it as Come a on, combination. Caramel. <laughs> a com- what? Caramel? Because, <laughs> like, you know how rainbow ice cream is just caramel? Caramel ice, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's a combination of banana and pineapple. And some people say it resembles jackfruit. According to two books in the Im- Imponderable series, peach is one crucial flavor among many others. Look, can I just say jackfruit's too popular now? It is likely that the chemical used for fla- yeah the chemical used for flavoring is isoamyl acetate, sometimes known as banana oil. Mm. 
There you go. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to the Juicy Fruit Podcast. Welcome back. To the- <laughs> welcome, welcome back to the welcome. world's most popular brand podcast. Ba- wow. Welcome back to, to what, what's in this packet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get into some theories later Later on. Oh, good. Because um, <laughs> it seems like- Seems like it's kind of wrapping up on the details of the of the death. Yeah, wrapping up. He's good dead. One. Yeah. God, that's not bad. Come, got it. Yeah, the details are. <laughs> we found him. He's dead. Pretty much. Because uh, initially, police believe he committed suicide. Uh, Spanner in the works of the investigation was he carried no identification and his de- dental records and fingerprints were not able to be matched to any known person. Later on- Ghost uh, man. International authorities such as the FBI and Scotland Yard were contacted for help and neither of them could offer any insight into the case. Oh, that's good. We got a little mystery on our hands. Yes, this is one of Australia's most well-known mysteries. Sorry, I'm a bit further forward. And I'm just like lifting my hands up in disbelief at a very stupid fact about this. All right, let's see if you can guess what the stupid fact was that Sean was guessing or was reading about. Bookmark it and we'll see if I cover it. Hit us up on at Cheeky Tales Pod on your favourite social pipe and tell us what was Sean surprised about. Social pipe. An autopsy was performed, boy, and an estimated time of death was given to be around 2 a.m. Oh, it's important to my fascination. Okay. What, what Can I just you said. guess? No, it's, important. it's important to oh. whatever Sean was focused about. Oh, okay. It's important to it. Okay. Uh, I have an extract from the autopsy and I'm going to read that. Well, Sean can read it because I just copy pasted it from Wikipedia. <laughs> it, it's a quote. It's a quote from the autopsy. That's right? fair. I can't rewrite that. <laughs> There's some medical terms in here that I'm about to butcher. Good. Uh, the pronunciation. I'm ready. A little, little pun. I love how every time you say pronunciation, you say right? pronunciation. <laughs> how do you say pronunciation? Pronunciation. It's pronunciation. That's pronunciation. Don't care. If you're a linguistics expert, hit us, <laughs> hit us up, up on, on Cheeky Tales Pod. This is going to be the most engaged post we've had for a while. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> the heart was of normal size and normal in every way. Small vessels not commonly observed in the brain were easily discernible with congestion. There was congestions of the pharynx. And the gullet was covered with the with whitening of superficial layers of mucosa. Mucosa. Mucosa, with a patch of ulceration in the middle of it. The stomach was deeply congested. There was congestion in the second half of the duodenum. Duodenum. How do you know he's saying it right? I don't. But I'm <laughs> having fun watching him mouth along to the whole quote. There was blood mixed with the food in the stomach. Gross. Both kidneys were congested and the liver contained a great excess of blood in its vessels. The spleen was strikingly large, about three times the normal size. There was a destruction. Hey, baby. i got a big spleen. <laughs> what does the spleen do, boy? Uh, isn't it like, um, uh, it's like acids and stuff, isn't it? No idea. Hey, baby, i got a. Big ass spleen. <laughs> there was destruction of the center of the liver lobes, lobules, lobules, uh, revealed under the microscope. Acute gastritis, hemorrhage, extensive con- congestion of the liver and spleen, and congestion to the brain. What's congestion in this sense? Doesn't seem to be very clear as to it what. It seems like everything's congested. I'm going to say it's like. I'm going to guess it just means like it's blocked. Yeah, it sounds like maybe it's it's like it's just not processing stuff. Yeah. It's blocked or the I vessels are constricted. Giant spleen or- could have helped him. Cerebral venous congestion is a clinical state of symptoms secondary to relative reduction in venous outflow 
of the brain. So it's cool. It's specifically talking about like in these ve- when they're talking about these organs and these vessels, they're talking about when they say congestion that blood is coming in, but not as much blood is coming out. Oh, there you go. The coroner also had a rummage around in his stomach, and <laughs> what had a rummage around? Oh, you're going to love the end of this paragraph. I put, like, I put it in for you. You know how- It's not like opening the, the junk drawer that everybody <laughs> has in their kitchen. Like, oh, where are those scissors? <laughs> Sounds like he did. Um, he, and he found that his last meal was a pasty eaten approximately three and a half hours before death. Pasty, for one. Pasty's the thing you put no. on your lips. Ready? It's pasty. Fuck you. It's, it's a pasty. It's not. It's a pasty. Look it up. It's a pasty. It's a British um, pastry treat. So- Hit us up on that cheeky tails pod. I'm, wait, I'm waiting to be vindicated here. Are we going to put up a poll, pasty or pasty? No, no, it's a separate thing. A pasty is something different. Yeah, it's the thing you put on your you nips. You put on your nips. That's what a pasty is. You put it over your nipples. Preview, bro. All right, now we've got two producers. <laughs> a pasty is a British baked pastry, a traditional variety of a uh, which is particularly associated with Cornwall, southwest England, but has spread all over the British Isles. It is a separate thing. Pasty. It's pasty. P-A-S-T-Y. Pasty. It's not pasty. Pasty. Whatever. Whatever. Tomato, tomato. Everybody in Australia says pasty except John. Anyway, this is the thing that Sean's fascinated about. This is what I was focused on. What, yeah, so- he a pasty? His last meal was a pasty and it was eaten approximately three and a half hours before death. When did he die? 2 a.m. Where the hell did he get a pasty at 10.30 at night? In Adelaide in 1948. Probably Villies. Sean's- no. Probably Villies. Okay, that's a very good point. Who used to say he bought it at 10.30? He could have bought it earlier and decided to eat it. Who eats a cold pasty up the beach at 10.30 at night? That's a good point. The Summerton man. However, your point about Villies is also a good point, but I don't think that Mr. Villie had opened his bakery in 1948. I think Villies it came- Pies. It's a 24-hour 24 24 hour cafe. cafe. Or diner, really. Yeah, and it's actually not far from where he died. Hmm. Maybe- that's because nothing in Adelaide's far. So many things. If you're on the south side, I'm not getting into the geography of the capital city of Australia. However, Excuse it's on me? the same. Sean's weirdly passionate about Adelaide. It's on the same. Right? Yeah. because It's on the same <laughs> side of town. It's maybe 10 minutes. Maybe 10 minutes drive. And it's on the tram line. There you go. Well, there was a tram line. Anyway. anyway. Sean's fascination's over. Uh, and, the, and the test, like uh, testing the stuff failed to reveal any foreign substitu- substances in the man's body. All right. Doctors were quite convinced the death was not natural and the primary suspicion was poisoning, but still nothing was showing. So the coroner was as, as confused as a pickpocket at a nudist camp. They couldn't, find, they couldn't identify the body? <laughs> what? I, you've had fun with this script this time, haven't you? A little bit. I, yeah. I like it. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's just coming out of left field. I was inspired by your Roman Empire pop like a 19th century waterbed. <laughs> And I'm like, yes. I'm going to chuck one in. I love putting those in. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to do that as well. I'm going to chuck one in. And here it is. The coroner was as confused as a pickpocket at a nudist camp. They, they couldn't identify the body, couldn't confirm the cause of death, and they couldn't even confirm if the man seen alive on the evening before was the same man. Kind of had nothing. The body was embalmed on December 10th, and the police said this is the first time that such an action was needed. Now, we are... Further down the rabbit hole. That is my next title. All right. Dig that rabbit out. Yeah. Is that one in Wikipedia, Sean? No. (laughs) (laughs) I am in. I've got residents in there now. (laughs) 
I'm in. Under the skin. <laughs> Living rent free. An inquest commenced a few days after the discovery of the body. And one of the things noted in this investigation was that the man's shoes were remarkably clean for someone who had supposedly been wandering around. On the beach. The beach. Well, um, I was going to say Glen Egg, but it's Glen Elg. All day. I appreciate your commitment to Glen Egg. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, the evidence was used to, well, this evidence was used to theorise that the body was dumped there. Uh, and backing that evidence up was there was no sign of vomiting or convulsing. At yep. none, none of that was found at the scene, which are the two main reactions to poisoning. Mm. It's getting a bit spooky. A brown suitcase yep. with its label removed was found by staff at Adelaide Railway Station on January 14th. So this is, what, five weeks after the- yeah, because it was in oh, December, wasn't it? Six weeks after the body was found. Yeah. <clears throat> body was found on the foot. Yeah. 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 It was it was checked into so they um they found what was in his stomach before they found like this suitcase. And yeah. there's something else they find later on, which is strange. Uh it had been checked into the station cloakroom after eleven AM on November thirty. It is believed to have belonged to the Summerton man, and inside they found the following a red checkered dressing gown, a size seven red felt pair of slippers. Four pants of four pairs of underpants, pajamas, shaving items, a light brown pair of trousers with sand in the cuffs. Told you, sand gets everywhere. An electrician screwdriver, a table knife cut down into a short, sharp instrument, pair of scissors with sharpened points, a small square of zinc thought to have been used as a protective sheath for the knife and knife and scissors, and a stenciling brush, as used by the third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Also found was a thread of- It's an oddly specific item. Mm. Well, I guess they've got to go into specifics because they can't identify this man. So they've got to be like- Yeah, but why is there a specific thing for third officers on boats to do a job? It's for stenciling the cargo. That's like a- He means- Yeah, but why is is it just third officers? Yeah, why is it- I don't know. know. Why is it just for boats? I don't know. Why Why did they dismantle and destroy the replica of the Titanic? Not the replica. It was the sister. Sister ship. It was the Olympic- an RIP Olympic. I know, I was trying to trigger John because he gets so upset about I the 1920s about to, I'm going to get on with the story. <laughs> also found- Was this also the 30s? No, 40s. 40s. Right. Also found was a thread card of Barbour brand orange waxed thread. Yep. Not available in Australia. Yes. So he's got it from somewhere. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. It was, in fact, the same thread used to, to repair the man's pocket in his trousers. Oh, so he's a handyman. He's yep. sewing his pants up. All tags- had been removed off the clothing as well. Mm, okay. So somebody um, somebody wants to be subtle about where either, they're from. Either someone wants to be subtle where they're from or apparently it's common practice back in that time because- People be stealing your pants. Well, coming out of depression, yeah. Um, either look, you write your name. Your name was written on all the tags. Yeah. So you could, because not a lot of people had a lot of clothes. And then if you were to purchase secondhand clothes, it would be- Common practice to cut the tags off. Yeah, right. Or someone's being sus and hiding where he's from. Yep. Where was where was the suit from again? Like what was it the was, cut? It was made it in was, from America. Right. Yes. The book. Oh, I do know about this. I, I couldn't. I was trying to think of a funny reference for Alice in Wonderland because I've already said further down the rabbit hole. Spent way too long trying to We're think. We're not of, in Kansas anymore. That's not Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, that's the other one. 
Some months later, around June 10th, a hidden small piece of paper was also found after a secondary search. It was found in the man's fob pocket in his trousers. Which one's a fob pocket? Uh, like small, your little coin pocket. A small coin but pocket on the right-hand side of your trousers. trousers. Uh, the one to that I hate it, ironing around. To put, a wa- to put a watch in it. Fob as in the watch, not the remote to your car. On the rolled-up piece of paper was found two words. Tamud shad. Should. Tamud shad. Tamud should. Tamam should. Taman should. Which translated means- Laneg beach. <laughs> ended or finished and is found on the last page of the Rubiet of Omar Khayyam. That is a book of selected poems translated from Persian to English. The search was on and it was Australia-wide to find this specific book uh, that this little tiny piece of paper had been torn from. How did they know it was from that book? Uh, I'm assuming you wouldn't find that phrase. In many places. In many places. Yeah, so public library officials were called in to actually translate the text and then identified it as a specific phrase meaning ended or finished, which is always found on the last page, page. of the Rubiat of Amakayam. This yeah. now makes me wonder how often library people are being brought in to help with cases. Like dead body, and like, yeah. I'm picturing just like, you know, this just lib- a classic librarian like walking into the police office like, it's, who needs me today, lads? It's my time. It's finally yeah. arrived. Shh. Uh, a picture of the paper. I'm picturing that it's like almost every case. Like, like there's a weirdly specific crime show now yeah. that's like the librarian. Almost like Castle, where he's an author, yes. but it's yeah, it's like <laughs> Bones, but instead of Bones, it's books. books. He's brought in as a consultant. <laughs> I'm here to look at the books. Show and me, marry you. Show me the paper. Show me. Show and me. then they do like a visualization of every book yeah. ever, and they're like, <laughs> show me the font. Oh, that yeah. is. <laughs> Times New Roman. Damn, that's most books. That is that is <laughs> casino font. It's from this book from <laughs> the 1920s decade edition. It's anyway. not Ariel. It's Ariel Bold. <laughs> yeah! The glasses come on. <laughs> so a picture of the piece. <laughs> a picture of the piece of paper was even published in the paper with the hopes that someone would come forward like with their book that was missing the piece. They doggy at the pages. They're a maniac. <laughs> The binding on this book has been altered. Anyway, moving on. Someone did come forward on July 30th. Ronald Francis. Yep. Uh, which was a pseudonym given to the man by police to protect his identity. It was actually Ronald McDonald. <laughs> he came forward with the book after seeing the article in the newspaper the day before. Now, there is some uncertainty about the circumstances under which the book was found. Some reports Yeah, it's a say- bit suspicious. Some reports say that it was found a week or two before the body was discovered, suggesting that the Summerton man had been in Adelaide for a longer period than other evidence, such as the suitcase. On the other side of that coin is the book was found just after the discovery of the body. The where it was found is less divided in an unlocked car inside its glove box, which was parked on Jetty Road, Glenelg, which is about 500 metres from the beach. Yeah, right. I remember the story being that someone was just sitting in their car and someone yeeted the book in. Uh, not quite. The story goes, boy, uh, because this was handed in a little while after the body's discovery. Yeah. That's when Francis' brother, like it's when Francis' brother got in the car, he saw it, but thinking it belonged to his brother, he put it in the glove box for safekeeping. Uh, okay. Francis, seeing his brother do this, assumed the, bo- the book belonged to him and thought nothing of it until right. the news article. I'm just saying, if one of you puts a book in my glove box, I'm asking you about that. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? So, okay, so somebody's probably just walked past, dumped it in the car. Dumped it through the window, yep. Okay. 
I'm going to say the Somerton man dumped it in the window. Well, how do you know it was the Somerton man, not the person who killed him? Because he had the him. piece of paper in his pocket. How you know it wasn't the person that killed him? That's right. It could have been the person that killed him, ripped out the piece that means the yeah, end. and the then, end. Because he's killed him. The piece of paper and the book were a match. They used microscopes to like match the tears up. Mm. So, like, pretty- oh, are you telling me the librarian couldn't just tell? No. no. Oh. They got the forensics in and microscope. The forensic librarian? Yep. Also, in the back of the book, there were faint indentations of five lines of text. I use the term text loosely. As looking at it, it just seems like random letters. For example, the first line is W-R-G-O-A-B-A-B-D. Okay. So somebody's writing a cipher. At first, it was thought the letters were a foreign language before it was realized it was a code. A range of code breakers from amateurs to experts were brought in and all ended up being unsuccessful at cracking it. As of now, it is considered to either be the first letters of each word in a sentence or form some sort of shorthand rather than code. Right. And, and it seems the meaning behind it will never be ascertained. So they still don't know what it means. Ooh. There was one more thing found in the book, a phone number. It belonged to a nurse named Jessica Thompson. She lived in Mosley Street, Glenelg, which is about 400 metres north of where the body was found. Initially, when interviewed by police, she said she had not known the dead man or why her phone number was in the book. However, she did report that in late 1948, an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and asked, asked her next-door neighbour about her. Ah, oh, this chick's sus. From 1949, Jessica had requested that police kept her name out of the permanent record. Uh, that stayed that way until 2010, when Jessica's family finally gave permission to disclose her name. Many people mostly police who investigated the cold case, believed Jessica knew the identity of the Summerton man, including her own daughter, Kate, who said so in an interview with Channel 9's 60 Minutes in 2014. Mm. So we will come back to that later yeah, on in the theories. Sass. In a strange coincidence, Jessica admitted to owning a copy of the Rubiat in 1945 and had given the book to an army lieutenant named Alf Boxall while she was working in a Sydney hospital. After the war, she moved to Melbourne and... Married, not Alf, someone else. Uh, I do say his name later. She said that she'd received a letter from Alf and replied informing him that she was now married and there was no further evidence that Boxall attempted to any more contact with Jessica. As a result of that, police would suspect Boxall as the dead man. Only one small problem with that. Alf Boxall would be found alive and well in July 1949, still in Sydney, and his copy of the Rubiat was completely intact. Ooh. Okay. That theory. So he had the Rubiat. Yep. But he didn't have the ripped piece. He didn't have the, the ver. It was a different yeah. version. And the Hamoud shard was still. Yeah, still there. Still there. So that covers pretty much all the tangible evidence from the time of the first investigations. Uh, now, do we want to cover some theories first or cover the suspo- like suspo- supposed solution, which I believe isn't official either? Let's go with the theories because the. The supposed information has come about recently. Yeah, and I've got that at the end. So this this section is uh, creatively titled Theories. Yeah, you weren't really, uh, <laughs> I really stretching for that one, were I dropped you? off a bit, yeah. <laughs> I think there was kids screaming in the background while I was doing this part. Theory one, aliens. No. Oh. Uh, the first theory suggests that the Summerton Man was an international man of mystery, a James Bond 007 type, a spy. What? <laughs> yeah, you went the, the same way I do it. When I hear international man of mystery, mystery yeah, Austin sorry, Austin Powers. Sorry, Ian Fleming. 
Mike Myers. <laughs> Do I make you horny, baby? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Several of the items found on the man alluded to him either being from the US or at least visited the US, such as his coat. Mm. It was made in America. And that comb. And it wasn't important. Uh, not import, imported. Yep. As well as the aluminum comb. The thread. No, the thread's British. Was it? Yeah. Barbour is okay. a British brand of wax canvas all right, jackets. All right. I the, forgot that bit. I did actually say lovely corduroy. They have lovely corduroy collars on there. The, the aluminium comb was also from the was also US made and the Wrigley's Juicy Fruit Gum. Oh, the, the re- oh yeah. Okay. The Not- taste, the taste, the taste that's going to move. Yeah. Also, the fact that there were two sites relatively close to Adelaide added to this theory. The two sites were the Radium Hill Uranium Mine yep. and the Woomera Test Range, a military research facility. Woomera. Woomera seems sorry, more it's Woomera. relevant. Woomera. I've, I've been there many times. It's okay, I'm sorry. Woomera Test Range. The man's death also cons- coincided with the reorganization of Australian security agencies, which would culminate in the, the following year with the founding of the Australian Security Intelligence Organization. ASIO. The spooky guys. Following that. I don't get the same vibe from ASIO as I do from like MI6 or like the FBI or CIA or like. They're literally like. I'd say they're the counterparts. I'd say they're way spookier. I guess because you've probably run into them at some point. But for me, ASIO. I think I would, but I haven't. ASIO to me just seems bumbly. Like, I don't know why, but just in my head, it just. Australia doesn't seem like a spy agency kind of country. What? What? You do realize that we built an like an antenna system that's sure. the size of like ten houses that allows us to see around the other side of the world. It can see past the horizon, sure. and no one knew about it for okay. decades. I am not saying we're sneaky. We I'm don't. Not saying that we're not. I'm not saying that ASIO is not good at their job. I just get the vibe that we're not. It's because it's did like. He, did he also compare ASIO to? Did you say the FBI? No, he said MI6 as well. Oh, I would yeah. just, I would just say like the CIA is more. Yeah, the CIA. I did say well. CIA, FBI. Well, FBI is more like the federal are, police. That's federal police, yeah. the Bureau of Investigation, yeah. Versus the anyway, intelligence right, I'm, agency. I'm done. I am done talking smack about ASIO. The Please reason it, don't investigate it's me. It's because they're chill. Because if, they realize that we've got this big island in the middle yeah, of nowhere. Yeah. We just wait for people to come to us. They don't have to go like- Listen, it's easy to spy when they have to swim here. Yeah. Listeners, if next episode it's just me and Sean, ASIO's got that. ASIO's got out. Jeez, if they Welcome get back me- to Cheeky Tales. <laughs> if they get me between recordings tonight, that'd be pretty impressive. <laughs> They're just boop. Back to uh. Cheeky Tales. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that helped with the foundation of ASIO. And following that, Australia would crack down on Soviet espionage as revealed by intercepted Soviet communications. Oh, yeah, because the Soviets were a thing at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bolshevik revolution at the- Early part of the 20th century. So that's where that p- supposed he's been whacked because he's a Soviet yeah, spy. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. To me, even now, that feels like the most likely thing, that he was a spy and he got whacked. Or that he wasn't a spy, someone thought he was a spy and he yeah. got whacked. Because mm. it's a bit specific. Yeah. Like, but not specific enough. Like, if he was attempting to pose as an Australian man, having decent clothing- 
a pretty normal eclectic, but normal but eclectic collection of stuff: an American style suit jacket and and a, you know the the comb and everything. It wasn't like even that. Vegemite in his stomach, so he's yeah, not doing a very good job of appearing Australian. Yeah, it's it's not as if they like had him with an Australia flag in his suitcase and, <laughs> and like all that yeah. sort of stuff. Like I feel like that Southern Cross on his chest, a cork hat. <laughs> good day, mate. Yeah. Khaki shorts. Anyway. So this next this next part sort of ties into the next theory that Jessica Thompson, the nurse, who had her phone number in the poem book, actually did know the Summerton man. In that interview with 60 Minutes in I got 2013, I think I said 2014 earlier, Kate Thompson, Jessica's daughter, said that her mother told her that she lied to police and that the Summerton man's identity was, and I quote, known to a higher level than the police force. Kate also suggested that her mum and the Summerton man may have both been spies, stating Jessica taught English to migrants, was interested in communism, and could speak Russian, although she would not tell her where or why she had learnt it. Oh, man, this theory feels like it's got legs too. And the fact that she, like, disclosed, she what, she used pseudonyms or something and didn't want to keep her name. Yeah, she was super shady. She she requested her name be kept out of official police records, and I didn't include it, but now that you brought it up, in the book she had given to Boxel, yeah. uh, she had signed it, not Jessica, but it was like J-E-S-T-R, like G-Stir or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like Jeston, capital Justin, J, yeah. capital, I'm looking at, yeah, capital J, capital E. <laughs> Mrs. Summerton Man scribbled out, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it said Jeston written with two capital letters and four lower, five lowercase letters, four, sorry, and then had written out a particular a particular verse from the book. It's spooky. Yeah, a book from the yeah. The, should. All right. New theory that I believe. It's that one. Okay. I'm in. I'm in on that. Leading from there, let's have a look-see at the other reasons people speculate that Jessica knew the man. Have a look-see. Have a bit of a look-see. She was brought in to view the, like a plaster cast made of the Summerton man. Oh, yeah, this bit. According to the detective sergeant, he described her reaction to seeing the cast as completely taken back to the point where he thought she was going to faint. Also, years later in an interview, Paul Lawson, the technician who made the cast, said that when Jessica looked at it, she immediately looked away and would not look at it again. To be fair, to be fair, you are looking at a dead body. No, the plaster cast. Oh, the plaster cast. Plaster I mean, cast. he's still dead, so it's going to still look dead. But like, so it's, I reckon she's in on this. It's a pretty lifeless plaster cast, man. It just—it's a bust. There's a picture well, of it. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a picture. That of is a, that is oh, right, yeah. literally about the least spooky thing. Yeah. yeah. That'll Imagine be a picture on the social. So I've already got like uh, the coded letters will be a picture, mm-hmm. the plaster cast. If I can find a picture of old mate leaning up against the thing, we might chuck that on there. But yeah. There's also a suggestion, suggestion, suggestion from Rachel Egan that Jessica's first child, Robin, was the son of the Summerton man, which would make him Rachel's grandfather. Yeah. They lodged an application for the Summerton man's body to be exhumed for DNA testing. Uh, Got a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% Summerton man. We got another- uh, Okay, we're just not going to react to that. Sure. Screw you. Yeah, just go past it. Okay. So another identification theory is H.C. Reynolds. This comes from an Adelaide woman handing in a U.S. identification card that was given to foreign seamen during World War I. They were trying to match facial features between the card and the cast. Results were initially very good with anatomical similarities in features such as the nose, lips and eyes, as well as a mole on the cheek, which is marked as a unique identifier. Yep. 
Disproving this theory, though, is that searches of the US National Archives, UK National Archives, and Australian War Memorial Research Centre failed to find any records relating to a H.C. Reynolds. Independent researchers believe the card belonged to Horace Charles Reynolds, a Tasmanian man who died in 1953. So, yeah, not him. Okay. That's not the bloke. Seems like everything except- The spy. The spy stuff is just getting disproven. Yeah. So, that's the theories of the who. But remember, we still don't know why either. Yeah. I've got a couple of theories of why. Okay. First one is suicide by poisoning. Yep. Um, The Rubiat's theme is that one should live their life to the fullest and have no regrets when it ends. Okay. So that's like- Yeah, maybe he's like, oh, I've done everything. Yeah. Time to chew this cyanide. Again, there was no foreign substances found in the body. Yeah. And the only hypothesis there is that the poison used was like a cardiac uh, glycocoside, which are difficult to detect in the body. Yeah. Which means, yeah, sorry. There's also uh, there's also like other um, theories relating to p- p- possible identifications that he went to go see this Jessica and or um, some someone else divorce and stuff like that, and that's why he's ended up committing suicide because right yeah. Continuing the poison theory is that Summerton man was given the poison by someone else, unknown and unseen, but linked to the spy conspiracy. Like this was a hit in the spy world. There really isn't that much evidence to support either of these theories though, but it's it's thought that he was poisoned, even though yeah. there's not really any evidence. There's no evidence to it, but it just seems like- But there's nothing else? That's, yeah. It, it To me, it seems like, yeah. Like it just seems like a, a, a simple answer to the, mm. like it make it fits everything. It makes sense. It's a little bit spooky. Huckham's razor. Occam's razor. Occam's razor. Yeah, well, I said it weird, didn't I? Glen Egg. <laughs> I said Hockham's razor. I thought you were going to go with Wahockham's razor. Hockham's razor. Just give me a schmear. Oh, yeah, like Wahockham's razor, like cheese. <laughs> Wahockham cheese. So the recent update. Yep. Yeah, there is a recent update. As Very I mentioned, recent, isn't it? As like I mentioned last year. before, a request was made to exhume the body for DNA mm. testing in 2013. Scooped him up. But multiple times it was denied. Yep. Oh, why? Why were they denying it? Who's trying to hide it? Conspiracy uh, confirmed. Actually, it was- the Jessica's family oh. was trying to deny it. Why were they? Weren't they the ones that were asking to pull it up? Yeah. I, I uh, believe before. How Jessica, do they have any right I to be, say no? I believe before Jessica died, she was the one, yeah, saying no and all that kind of stuff. How? What? But nobody knows know. who this bloke is. How? The, how? Did, why are they listening to her? There was an attorney general who was saying also like there, there needs to be more public interest in the case for him to approve the ex- oh, exhumation okay. of the body. Right. So that's why all of a sudden everyone cares about it again. Yeah. However, in October of 1920, uh, not 1920. 25 <laughs> years before this happened. In October 2019, <laughs> <laughs> Attorney General Vicky Chapman granted approval on the 19th of May, 2021. Ooh, let's go. Get your shovels. Sorry. And on November 9th. Uh, and on 19th of May, 2021, the exhumation was carried out. Yep. Sorry. No, it wasn't. Get your shovels, boys. We're yep. going digging. Actually, there's a photo of that too, like a, the ball bearers. Yeah. With a police escort. So that might make the socials. Good. They plan to match DNA extracted from the body with possible relations and try to identify the man. However, back in March of 2009, a University of Adelaide professor named Derek Abbott announced that he would attempt to solve the case. Good on you, Derek. 
Desire. I like that he, att- he announces that he attempts to solve it. It's like yeah. a 1950s, like, and now I'll reveal my trick. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Pulls down like a big sheet. And it's, like a there. it's a heist movie. You're gonna, like, you're gonna love Derek Boy with the help from some of my friends. We got Wacky Steve. <laughs> he he first tried solving the case through attempting to crack the code found in the Ruby app. Yep, didn't 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 happen. No, <laughs> he would then try. Out, I'm not qualified. <laughs> he would then try matching dental records and found that the Summerton man had a rare genetic condition called hypodontia. And of- I think you should hyperdo. Hyperdontia of both lateral incisors. Yep. Where's your incisors, boy? You know you're all about meth. Incisors. Meth, teeth and mouth. and Well, they're inside somewhere. Aren't they the mean? spiky boys? Yeah, I believe they're the spiky boys. Yes. Uh, that is a feature only present in 2% of the population. Yeah. Abbott then acquired a photo of Robin, the elder son of Jessica, and noted that like the Summerton man, Robin also had hyperdontia. This being a coincidence was estimated at being between one in 10 million and one in 20 million. Okay. But not likely it was a coincidence that no. they both shared the same. So it's like one in the Australian population million, currently. Yeah. yeah. After discovering that Robin had died in 2009, Abbott con- contacted Rachel, who was living in New Zealand at the time. The following year, Abbott and Rachel married and they've had three children since. Okay. So our mate's just investigating this yeah. bloke hooked up with supposed granddaughter. This is not a Cheeky Tales recommended <clears throat> uh, dating technique. No. <laughs> the family has a picture of the Summerton man in their home, believing him to be family. Sure. However, Rachel- That's just a bit weird. Yeah. However, Rachel, well, it was earlier on too, he released like, uh, was it 2017? He released a- I guess a guess of what he looked like, like a yeah, done up a drawing of him. Uh, so Rachel had a DNA test. Turns and, out she's a hundred percent. And those results found that her grandfather was Prosper Thompson, Jessica's husband. Okay. Yeah. yeah very so, high. Yeah. Very high chance that her actual grandfather was actually Jessica's wife. So yeah, kind of throwing out that. <clears throat> so the Summerton man is not related to her. While yeah. much of the DNA was degraded, the University of Adelaide team obtained a higher definition analysis of the mitochondrial DNA from the hair sample of the Summerton man. Mitochondria is the power yeah. Mitochondrial. So that so DNA came from, um, like in December 2017, Abbott announced that he had found three hairs in the plaster cast of the corpse. Yes. And that's where he was getting those DNA tests right. from. Right. They okay. found that the Summerton man's DNA belonged to haplogroup H4A1A1A, possessed by only 1% of Europeans. However, mm-hmm. mitochondrial DNA is only inherited through the maternal line and therefore cannot be used to investigate a hereditary link between Rachel Egan, Abbott's wife, and the Summerton man. Okay. So we got no answer. Pretty much. Cool. July 26, 2022, so last year. Yep. Abbott announced that he had determined the identity of the man, and that was Carl Charles Webb. Okay. Carl Webb, the famous Broncos <laughs> footballer. Mm-hmm. No, not him. Ah. An electrical engineer and instrument maker born in November 1905, so that puts him in that 40 to 45-year-old range. Okay. Abbott claims the DNA from the hairs found in the death mask matched two distant cousins of Webb both on the paternal and maternal side of okay. the family. Photos from a Webb family album appeared to show the Summerton man during the 1920s. So, uh, and this was on an Australian story, I think. They went to like these um, people's house, like descendants of Charles yeah. Webb. 
found photos and went went looking through and went, oh, this, and they kind of tried matching facial features through those family albums to, I guess, the cast and all that kind of stuff. Right. So we know it's him. Forensic Science South Australia, who were still investigating, declined to comment on Abbott's findings and South Australian police had not verified the result, but stated they were cautiously optimistic that this may provide a breakthrough. Okay. That's not confirmed in any official yeah, sense. But we got something. Got something that it's this Carl Webb. And there's a whole story of Carl. Um, how he moved. Um, he was apparently abusive to his wife and then he kind of disappeared. And then in 1951, his wife put an ad in the paper saying, look, I'm going to divorce you if you don't show up by this date because you've deserted me. Um, and so, yeah. There's a, whole, right. there's a whole story for Carl. And Webb. he couldn't because he was dead. Right. One last tidbit, boy, mm. that for this could be Carl Webb. Is it a titillating tidbit? Oh, it is, boy. Ooh. Is that Carl's oldest sister married Thomas Gerald King, and they had a son named John, who died in World War II in 1943. And John had possessions that imply that he lived in the US at some point. Right. Uh, and they only lived about 20 minutes away from Carl. Right. So it's theorised that it was quite possible that he could just go there and get John's possessions up from right. when he lived in the US. That's how we got all these things. That all the American stuff. All yeah. the American stuff. Also, remember how I said all the labelling on the clothes were removed? Yep. Not all. There were three labels left on the clothing and they were marked with T. Kane. Right. Okay. So, yeah, Carl's older sister was married to yeah. Thomas Kane. Okay. So there you go. It's him. So it does look like it could be Carl Webb. Uh, yeah. Just from those, those things. And the, it's Carl. And the DNA, the DNA testing and all that kind of thing. But I guess until we get an official police, police announcement. announcement yeah. um, I guess it's still an ongoing cold case or mystery. I wonder or, how many people are still working on it right now. There could be a, there could be a few. Because yeah. like I said, this is only less than 12 months old, all this kind yeah. of stuff. So, so it must be like people in Adelaide Police still working on this. Possibly, yeah. There you go. And that boy is the up-to-date tale of the Summerton Man. What do you think? I actually had, I purposely stayed away from knowing what the like recent updates were. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're onto something. So you no longer believe he was a spy? I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Okay. I think he could still have been a spy, um, but knowing who he is doesn't change that. Yeah, okay. Um, it's still up to some spooky stuff. It does seem like there's a lot of evidence that Jessica knew and- Oh, she knew. Uh, yeah. She knew. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind that she knew. Um, I, just weird stuff. I have walked past his grave many times, as I just discovered. He's buried in the West Thames Cemetery. I used to cut through there all the time. Yeah. It's a shortcut. Bur- buried in there, uh, marked as the unknown man. Yeah. There you go. I have spent a lot of time around that because it's a- for those that haven't been there, the West Terrace Cemetery, West Temis, West Terrace Cemetery, is a very big public open cemetery on the side of the major road West Terrace. If you are cycling, walking anywhere that connects where I used to live on the western suburbs of Adelaide to the city, it's very common to go through it. Yeah, people have picnics in there. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if you've missed it before. Sean did live in Adelaide for a while, so. six years. One of the other reasons why I wanted to pick this story because Sean would know the place well. As you saw- Have you been to Glenelg Beach? (laughs) Got me. I have been to Glenelg Beach. Um, Yeah. Have I been to Glenelg Beach? You have been to Glenelg Beach. Yeah, that was one with the jetty, wasn't it? Well, there's a photo of you and us. There's a photo of you and I eating ice cream. That's at at Glenelg Beach. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Wow. Two I never thirds of the cheeky been boys there. have been there. Yeah. Two thirds of the cheeky <laughs> 33.33 recurring percent of the cheeky boys have been there. I've only ever been to Sydney and Townsville, so I, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Good story, boy. Great yeah. story. Yeah. One of, uh, apparently, I've heard it before, and I know you've heard it before. Yeah. I haven't. But one of Australia's most infamous mysteries, yeah. which now potentially could be solved. Yeah. We do love a mystery at Cheeky Tales. Yeah. It's just that there's not that many that are long enough to warrant a full episode. Yeah. Mystery is just undiscovered history. Very cool. Very cool. Mm. Good um, stuff. All right. Well, as John said, hit us up on at Cheeky Tales Pod oh, yeah, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. John will have some photos up there that will help you visualize this kind of grizzly tale. For show. For I ha- show. I have a shout out if that's okay. Go right ahead. I know it's at the end of the episode, but I know he'll still be listening to us. Shout out to uh, Sam West from the One Reg band that I play in as a guy that listens to it every week and then tells me in person his feedback on the episodes. Oh, nice. And I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. He tells me every single week after I got him listening to it when we were driving back from Sydney, he listens every single week and gives me feedback on it. I feel like we've had a comment from him. Probably have. Yeah. Probably have. Well, hello, Sam. Thank you for listening. Really appreciate it. Like I said at the start of the episode, you know the drill, man. You know what was happening. You know who's who, what's what. That's right. What we do. Actually, I think we've got a couple of shout outs to make. Mm. Uh, Congratulations are in order uh, for one of our very loyalist listeners, Jazz. She had a baby a little while ago. Cheeky Uh, Tales fan. Super fan. Yeah. Jazz. Gonna have to Uh, get some Cheeky Tales rompers. Congratulations. Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations to Jazz and Mitch on. Their little little girl Sadie, uh, and we couldn't forget uh, little and that's George. It. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah, wrap it up. That's it. Uh, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Good night. No, uh, <laughs> we've re- we've mentioned cheesy a number of times we in previous been. episodes. He's the one that loves my yawning. Uh, he and his wife Sarah have welcomed little baby George into the world. I held him the other day. He's very tiny. So uh, his legs don't reach the end of a triple four uh, onesie, which was cute. Triple, triple, triple zero. zero. Triple zero. Four zero. One of the numbers, whatever. His body Four fits zero. in it. His legs are too short. X amount of zeros. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, welcome to the world, little George and little Sadie. Congrats, friends. Anyway. Cheeky Tales newest listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Get them on it. They got a backlog now. Still have to come up with a, a slang term for the, the listeners. The Chicos. The che- che- Cheeksters. Oh. The Chiquitos. Chiquitos. Yes. Oh, the Chiquitos. Oh, some Chiquitos. Oh, some Chiquitos. Chiquitos. Wow, that is in. Yeah, Polo wants to get in. All right, well, let's wrap it up. We're rambling now. Congratulations to our friends. Yep. Hit us up on Cheeky Tales Pod and share with your friends. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. Good night.